these decisions are always difficult, okay? Anytime you're put in a position of leadership, sometimes you have to make decisions that are difficult. Um, it's never personal. Um, but ultimately, that was the you know position that I've been placed in uh, to do the right thing, you know, for the organization. I would say when you just rewind here and go back to a year ago, you know, when I started, when, when I took over, uh, I'd say you know the organization was in a pretty rough spot. Um, we're in a lot better position, and uh, quite frankly, I think that's because of the leadership and the guidance and the direction that David Culley provided us. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It was another week of consternation in the head coaching search from your favourite preacher's input and some stagnation it seemed like as well. After a quick start on a number of candidates, it's all gone very quiet. Apologies to everybody, a day late this week, flying solo, I had a feeling that there was going to be some form of development over late Tuesday. It didn't happen. It all seems very quiet around Kirby Drive as Casario has yet to make any more moves that we know about. And I know everybody's kind of, you know, very down with the fact that leaks are, you know, at a premium these days or so they see unless they come from Jack Easterby or, or you know, implanted by Casario via Albert Breeder. Or, or or Ian Rappaport kind of seemed the the two most likely and most relevant uh, places that they come from. But it's it was a strange weekend, I think, when you were looking at the the games that were on. Probably as many people describe some of the best football that you've probably seen in a long, long time. Um, the Bills Chiefs game was an epic, as as was the Rams Bucks as well. Games and moments and teams and the way they play, I think. You need to take stock, and I, I said this to somebody last week that, you know, I think you know people are desperate to you know segment people on Twitter, on Facebook, or whatever about being positive or negative. I think you've just got to view the league kind of similar to what Casario said last week, but you've got to view it in its entirety, and you've got to view it as you you know if you want to be successful, and win the ultimate goal. The only reason why you play this sport every year is to go and win a Super Bowl, and I think. Watching the game Sunday probably gives you a barometer of of where you need to get to. And I think particularly in the AFC, it's going to be a long, long road back with Josh Allen, with Patrick Mahomes, you know, plus others if Lamar Jackson can never get it together. I'm doubtful of that. But, you know, with those two guys, certainly looks like they'll be the two that'll be battling out when probably three years ago you would have said Watson and Mahomes would have been battling it out. But here we are watching the playoffs a year later. Obviously, the departure of David Cully. We're a couple of weeks on from the last spoke to you about that. Um, but certainly, I think, you know, when you watch some of the stuff of the weekend, the first game of the weekend, DJ Reader, obviously the Texans let go. Bill O'Brien chose to pay Whitney Merciless over it. Was an absolute colossal in the middle of the Bengals' defence. He gave Ben Jones all he could handle. Nate Davis didn't know what to do with them. You know, and I think it was... It was a one of the best performances I've seen at a nose tackle. And he went from a 3-4 in Houston to, you know, a predominantly even front. Larry Joby wasn't playing next to him either. So the guy who had been, you know, helping him, building chemistry with all season, wasn't in there to, you know, to, to play. And he took that mantle on and did everything he could to get, to keep the Bengals in the game. And, you know, luckily towards the end, they, they kicked the winning field goal in the Titans as the first seed go out. And I thought that was a notable point of the weekend that both first seeds 
with the with the second season of going to a single buy team, it always seemed like you had to get a buy if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to get to the championship game. But with the single buy, both teams were out Green Bay from a, a magical performance from the, the, the 49ers defence led by D'Amico Ryans, who the Texans still haven't spoken to. But hey, there you go, we'll come on to that. And and uh, and then Tennessee go out to, to Joe Burrow despite sacking him nine times in their offensive line up the gut, certainly against Jeff Simmons, who's you know in the conversation for at least a top three interior player in the league, if not you know, a top 10 defensive player in the league and how he's developed and what a punt that was when he was injured coming out of the 2019 draft. And that's now paid off for Tennessee. But what hasn't paid off is Ryan Tannehill. Looks like he's regressed a little. Um, I think that was probably down to the offensive coordinator more than anything else. But yeah, there you go. Both first seeds are out. But a rather daunting weekend, I thought, when you reflect and you compare, you know, where, where the real standard is to be competitive again. Um, and actually have a chance of being a worthwhile entity on a Sunday. And it's a long, long way back, but certainly, uh, you know, it, it can all happen very quickly. The Bengals taught us that on Sunday. So, um, you know, you draft right, you get lucky, you're in the right spot at the right time, and all of a sudden things change very, very quickly. Since we spoke to you last time, there was Casario was in front of the media, and I, I thought there was, you know, they talked about him, and there was some interesting comments from him. Um, and it was a, a week where it probably showed a microcosm of what this team's problems have been and continue to be. And a lot of people will say, you know, that Jack used to be is a media creation. And there's an element of that. Within this modern day climate of, of clicks, of ad revenue, of people, the way in which they consume sports media has completely changed. So... Is there a media interest and is there an angle that is beneficial to the media to create a character and a narrative about the Texans' dysfunction and more notably Jack Easterby? Yes, absolutely, you can't dispute that. But what I don't think you can dispute this week is his influence. So you went from Casario on the radio on, on last Wednesday, a week today, said, you know, Jack's been a punching bag, he's had some undue criticism, etc., which, you know, Nobody can really answer unless you're inside that building. But what also Casario did in that same answer, in those same subsequent sentences, gave a complete mischaracterization of Jack's role. He said he was involved in personnel side for a number of months, and we know that's not true because he was standing there front and centre when Watson signed his contract. He was there, Cunningham signed his contract. He's publicly credited by you know, the previous head coach for his involvement, his input and all the kind of clear leadership roles he had. Now, to, to say that he was only involved in making decisions that were shaping the, f the future of this team and will continue to inhibit this team for some time yet is disingenuous and it's incorrect. And I think perhaps either that was Casario's attempt just to quash those kind of you know perceptions, which it did, to be fair, and I think there was definitely a, a sense of easing felt uh, from people that you know when people you know used phrases to me were turning the corner, and there's no material progress on that yet. Time will tell. There's just so much in this off season, but in a week you went from having a kind of little a, a sense of respite from all the kind of dysfunction 
Casario being very, very candid, very frank with the media, and realistic, I think, as well, when he's talking about a general, you know, the size of the undertaking. And that was refreshing, I think, in many senses. And then you get to Thursday, um, going into Friday, and, and you find out under after a number of names that they've they've spoken to, they've interviewed Josh McKellen for the second time in two years. And last year they did so and were panned by it, and rightly so. They continue to go back to him. Uh, he spoke on the Jay Cutler podcast, which I'd go and urge you to check that out. But he used a phrase on that that said, I've had so many coaches pour into me. And that's a phrase used by yours truly, Mr. Jack Easterby. That's a phrase that was put out in the David Cully hiring transcript and press release. And it's a phrase I've heard him use a number of times in the various settings he's done with kind of religious faith-based with sports angle programs. And look, that's fine. And we all know they're close and we all know why he's there. But when you went from a week of easing the tension to then ignite it instantaneously by a hire, which, you know, let's make no mistake about it. Okay, he's had 18 years or 19 years of in the league 12 separate teams coaching young quarterbacks. Of course, there's a, a record there that, that absolutely would lend itself to be a position coach. But I think you've got to understand the, the, the wider reverberations of the Texans doing that. Does the resume justify it? Absolutely not. Does somebody who's never done a bona fide day's coaching in their life deserve an interview for a head coach for a second year running. It's preposterous on so many levels because if you were a head coach, similar to the Jack Easterby situation, an unqualified person shooting up the ladder, predominantly because he's close to somebody through religious ties and, and charity and whatever the back goes on in the, the, these in the background that we're not all privy to see, but the link to Easterby is there, but the, the damage that must do it's almost downright insulting to people who have, you know, devoted their lives to to coaching football, whether that, and particularly in the state of Texas, as well in guys in high school football, you know, or even if it's just voluntary, and they give their life, they've got a drive to work that 18, 20 hour day every day across the season, not just sit in the quarterback room, give some friendly advice, and then fuck off when you're finished at the end of the day. That's people that. People that are there and devote their life, sacrifice so much because for the love of the game. And I'm not saying Josh McCowan doesn't have that, but what he doesn't have is a damn day of experience. And and to get him in an interview just is, is damaging for a team that's trying to build back. They're obviously immune to criticism as well, and I think they're immune to to how it looks. And, you know, you go back to that phrase, optics again. But if they were to go and hire Josh McCowan, I think that would be one of the most difficult decisions you'd make, people, because it just shows you there's a there's a very clear inference from somebody who was here through all the downfall. And then for him to hire somebody who's got no experience at a job. But whether he comes in as a head coach here or he comes in sitting over the shoulder of another head coach, if, if you're the other head coach, I don't think you'd want to take the job when you know he's uniquely placed and close next to, uh, to the, one of the executives on this in this club who's got a track record of knifing multiple people. And I think, you know, that it's a, a, the, the Texans have got to tread very carefully now here because I think that there's definitely 
a very, very thin line between getting this right and getting it wrong. They got the David Cully hire wrong. They admitted that themselves by their actions. Again, don't look by their words, by their actions, because Casario's words were underdone, or uh, were undermined, rather, in a week, within a couple of days, by their actions. So if you were to get rid of David Cully and bring in Josh McCowan, this team's taking a step backward. And it's all going very quiet this week. It's it's it seems a lull, and you've got to hope there's some workings going on in the background. But inevitably, these things have a tendency of getting out. You've got that sort of created industry within the league of insiders, people who 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 build on rumours and fanfare um, and gossip around around the league, and that you know that's a, a self-created industry for the league so if it's not floating around there which it can do you know there's a lot of stuff that goes on that that doesn't make it out at the time uh but it kind of feels very very quiet and i know people are quite high on the fact that casario's you know kind of got to run a much tighter ship and there's certain media people that know and there's certain media people that don't um a column in albert breer's monday morning quarterback in in sports illustration i thought uh, illustrated rather sorry was was definitely kind of clear on he, he ref- used the exact same example that Casario used last week about Mike Tomlin um, and in reference to to uh, Jonathan Gannon, who at this stage appears to be the most logical fit. Uh, if we put all the McCowan stuff to the side and and hope that that doesn't happen, but Jonathan Gannon, I think he's got a. As soon as I read his resume of having a coaching background at St Louis, I think it aligns perfectly with Casario. He's from Ohio as well, so he's going to have a lot in common with Casario as well as a Ohio native. He's he's also kind of got a varied background in in uh, in different positions across the defense. He was on Josh McDaniel's list. When when McDaniel's did the dirty on Indianapolis, they you know they honoured that hire, and that's why he was there for a couple of years as DB coach. Um, he was at the Vikings, and then he was also, um, and then he's laterally been hired by Nick Sirianni as a, as the defensive coordinator. Now a questionable record as a as a defensive coordinator, um, and you know you've you've seen various reports and and con- on contrasting kind of views of what he is as a coordinator. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think you know you need to get too tied up in is he a good coordinator or not I think what you need to to focus on is he a leader of men is he somebody who's going to come in and develop and we'll come on to this in a couple of weeks time but certainly the role of Casario and I think there's just a general trend around the league of the the head coach or, or the traditional role of a head coach being dis- diminished but Jonathan Gannon certainly seems like the most logical candidate logical fit with the current structure you know Aaron Wilson's done a job and, and and really kind of putting his name out there um, in terms of, you know, Greg Williams uh, kind of giving him a glowing endorsement. You've had, you know, comments like he's willing to work with the, with the GM, you know, very much being the, the, you know, the more powerful of the two in that relationship and the whole organisation as a whole drives it, drives the culture forward rather than how the head coach wants to run his football team. Um, so it seems a bit counterintuitive, that kind of viewpoint, but that's the one that Cassetti was taking. He's definitely doing it his way. As I said, you've got to hope that there's going to be more guys out there that will come out. Now, obviously, the first guy that was interviewed straight after, or it was emerged straight after, the, the Cully firing was Brian Flores. And I think he sort of instantly became the leading candidate or the expectation he would be the leading candidate. But... 
I think for me, I, he's probably the guy I would least like because if you think of all the traits we talked about the last time we were out, we were on, all the similarities to our previous head coach. We're trying not to mention his name because we're trying to switch it up and not get stuck in the old here. But I think that that could be a potential. It could be a potential match of success, but I think when you look at everything that went wrong and it's very similar to our previous problems, that nagging sense of familiarity that we continue to have, decisions we're making at a front office or an operational level as an organisation, I think Flores just brings brings more of that familiarity that has not served us well and has certainly not propelled us towards success. So, you know, Joe Lombardi, yeah, yeah fair enough. Don't know how you know relevant he's a candidate. Um and he's not interviewed anywhere else. And I think when you look at the list of, of you know genuine candidates, of which we believe to only be four, I think the Texans have interviewed less people um, than, than every other club. They were slower off the mark by fact, you know, delaying three or four days to fire David Cully. A couple of red herrings in there with Heinz Ward, don't forget that as well. So, you know, of, of okay, so they've spoken to, to six people um, in theory, but... Uh, but only four, I would say, are justifiable candidates. But they're not the same candidates um, that all other clubs are speaking to. I think, and you know, there's no Dan Quinn in there who's probably you know going to be. It's between him and Nathaniel Hackett, I think, for the Denver job. I think you know Dan Quinn's going to have his choice of jobs at the end of the day. I think you got Raheem Morris in there as well, who's the, you know a bona fide guy who deserves a second chance. It looks like Byron left, which is going to join the Jags um, and take up that role. Matt Eberflus, I don't think walks out this coaching cycle without a job now with the Sean Payton retiring they're up to nine openings at the minute and I don't know if the Texans rank anywhere higher than eighth or ninth in those rankings so I think that's representative perhaps in some of the or the lack of or the lack of array of candidates that the Texans have got because I think you know the it came out last. The last name we've seen was Kevin O'Connell, who, from my point of view, intrinsic qualities aside, I think if he was to bring that scheme over, I think that would be a huge, huge potential iron in the fire for Davis Mills's development because you've seen that tree and that scheme proliferate around the league and be continuously successful. It's, it's running to the offences in the NFC uh, this year and a kind of similar version uh, was Zach Taylor as well. So three out of the four offences of the final four are you know predominantly from that that kind of coaching tree West Coast, what we saw Gary Kubiak and still here for many years and that was the best football, the best offensive football we've seen as a ball club in our history. So, you know, from a from a pure X's and O's point of view, I think Kevin O'Connell makes sense. But when he is set to interview for a second time with Denver, now Nathaniel Hackett may, you know, may have taken that uh, that role certainly it seemed like last night that that that, that really stepped forward and, and and perhaps you know there's a route to Aaron Rodgers there coming over and all that kind of stuff for for Denver and you know that would definitely send them over the top but I think the fact that we put an interview request in and got cancelled or it got moved or what have you and he, and he's potentially about to have a second interview with somewhere else would suggest perhaps that he wasn't interested in this job and look that may well change as he said it always goes back to the fact there's only 32 of these jobs. But it certainly looked like he had a preference for the Denver job. We all would. I think Denver's probably the top job, if not the second best, um, of the openings available. But I think it seems like O'Connell's not interested. So that really brings you down to three candidates, one of which, Joe Lombardi, I'm not necessarily, you know, he's not been interviewed by anybody else. Gannon has been interviewed by other people, uh, from the, the Vikings particularly. He didn't get taken forward with the Broncos to the final three. So, you know, there wasn't a preference for him there. But it certainly seems like he's the only feasible candidate right now in my eyes. But I really, really hope there's some more names emerge uh, 
this week um, and try and find some you know some a broader search because i think it's been a narrow search it's been a slow search to this point and i think when you compare it to the rest of the process i've seen the bears process being criticized but ultimately they've had to hire a gm they've done that um and and it looks like you know they'll they'll, they'll, they'll progress with a head coach pretty shortly so you don't want to be left at the altar again for a second season being the last team to hire a coach it's certainly trending that way right now uh, but just want to get some thoughts down, just get some some follow-up from last week. A lot going on, a strange week again. I wrote about that on podcasttexans.com about the, the, the Easter B factor. I think whoever comes in will have to just get get on board with the fact that Easter people have influence. You can't doubt that. Whether it is what type of influence is, is up for debate unless you're inside the building. And you're going to have to have a head coach who is happy to be dictated to, you know, and, and Caserio actually used that phrase, we will not dictate anything. But I think he will. But I think he will do, you know, watch by his actions. You'll certainly be a very, very hands-on approach. Some guys might like that. And it's all, you know, and I think the head coach, you know, we're watching um, develop and change from what it used to be. So it will certainly be different from what we've seen. Uh, but if you think of the Vikings, that's the kind of message they've put out. They want a younger guy um, who can go and sort of grow and develop into the role. So I think in that space, what the Texans want as well. So, you know, you want longevity, but I think there's also, you know, a, a very kind of fine line between having a guy that's never done it before. Oh, there's a, well, there's two extremes. There's a guy who's never done it before in any way, shape or form, Josh McKibben, or a guy who's been around the league since 2006, 2007, and Jonathan Gannon, who's got the potential to be a good tech coach, but you don't know until you get in the job. And it's one of the toughest jobs, if not the toughest job in all sports, when the amount of players you've got to manage, with the amount of issues you've got to manage, and everything you've got to get organised over three phases of the ball. It takes a big coach and a big character um, to do that successfully. And I, I struggle to see people not being able to do it their own way in the way Casario wants it. If you can't do it your own way, I think you're going to struggle in some senses because it's a lot to take on. And if you can't control it and manage it in a way that suits you, then we'll, we'll see how that, that, that pans out. But certainly I think this trend towards the non-dominant head coaches um, is certainly is certainly not necessarily a good thing. But when you look at, um, you know, the 49ers who have arguably done the best coaching job, the least, least expected rise in the playoffs last team there, uh, but are through. And that's where the, the, the head coach is very much a dominant partner, if not you know equal partners with John Lynch. But he's, uh, he's certainly got silver personnel. And I think you know there's a balance to be had. You don't want to go back to the days of Bill O'Brien, but you don't want to go back to where you bring over a coach here. And, and from all reports, he's going to potentially be be left with all the... with with all the coaching staff certainly retained to some degree and it's an inherited coaching staff rather than a crafted and devised coaching staff of of a of a of guys that they want that suit their philosophy and can implement that with the players. So we will see where this ends up, I think. It's been an interesting week, but it feels like, again, a lot's happened, but in, in real terms, not a lot. So, uh, we, you know, we are desperate and starved of progress, but hopefully we'll see that come soon. Uh, but check out any articles at podcastdexans.com if you don't put a couple out the last couple of Saturdays, um, just as we're looking into this head coaching search. And we'll have a couple more, and we're going to do a couple of draft prospects. We're going to do one offensive one defensive prospect a week from now every week until the end of the drafts we'll put some video clips and some articles about those guys try and get your knowledge up and my own knowledge up for this draft because we've got some picks so you know if worse comes to worse this offseason we get a pick high in the draft and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks but thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week hopefully with some progress to report and discuss on this head coaching search 